Hello everyone. We're getting a bit of a late start to the semester this time around, as I'm sure we all wish we could have to our semester. We're going to start with a few episodes that were recorded at the end of last semester before we get into the ones that we record this semester. So things seem a little out of season, that's why. All right, on with the show. Hi, Drew. <laughs> What's up, Drew? You're not using this, are you? <laughs> we are now. <laughs> you have to say the next line. Welcome. I, I don't know our opening. I don't Welcome to How College oh, Works. <laughs> <laughs> Today. Well, I thought we would talk about uh, something that came up for conversation with you, Melody, which was note-taking. Uh, we're reaching the end of the semester. I was thinking about this, I think, in terms of, like, I have a comprehensive final for my grammar class, which I don't typically have finals because I usually teach writing. Mm -hmm. But a lot of classes do have comprehensive finals. And a lot of times they're asking you to pull together and synthesize all that information, maybe just from the last eight weeks since midterm, maybe mm -hmm. from the entire 16 weeks, and have something to... Or, if you're lucky, maybe in the last three four, or four weeks because it's sort of... It's either building on so you don't need to call back, or it doesn't, so there's no reason to do so. Yes, but if you haven't taken notes up to this point, it's You're, probably not going to be helpful. It's true. But planning for January. Yes. yes. This is how to turn your, your next semester into a better one. <laughs> I like that. We were forward-looking. Maybe before we move into the, to the note-taking, just to do a brief aside about exams hmm. and the kinds of things we ask about on exams. Because the thing that, that you mentioned about you know, synthesizing and bringing ideas together, I think this, this is pretty standard. Mm -hmm. And Drew, is this also in high school? Are tests like this or, I mean, because of course I can't remember because I'm so old. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, it varies, I'm sure by, by topic, it's easier in a, in a history course to just have a, a, for a certain style of teacher to have a, a kind of a memorization you know, multiple choice uh, style of test, which is extraordinarily difficult to prepare for a comprehensive semester history exam. But yeah, I mean, I think the idea, especially in a writing course, is to synthesize the things that you've learned over the semester and put that into a kind of an on-demand you know, two-hour uh, essay prompt. On-demand meaning like rough draft gets turned in and scored. Right, right. You don't revise it. You just write that essay there. I mean, that's, I mean, for me, that's also, I think, have been very similar for most science classes I have taken and taught is that, for me, when I teach, I, I want the questions to sort of wrap some things together. In, in my ideal world, I would love to have each exam have a, a question, ideally, I don't often make this, I get to this ideal, but have a question which strings together concepts from the last three or four chapters that we're covering. So it, it becomes sort of almost kind of a Rube Goldberg <laughs> kind of a, a question where you start in one, in one uh, concept or chapter and you do some calculations and use that result to you know, snowball into the, the next part of the question where we go into another chapter. So we sort of try to bring these things together to see how they could relate, not necessarily how they always do relate, but ways to sort of see this connection and that seems also to be pretty standard I, th I, th I in my experience which again is 
old uh, in terms of you know the chemistry that I took in college and uh, and, and those other and math courses as well. Like I don't I, I don't recall seeing the exact same problem in the on those finals or exams, but rather sort of a different take on it. It's like here is this. It actually does use all the same stuff, but it's sort of presented differently. So take yeah. you know, take what you've seen, apply it to this different situation. You know, show me that you know it and not just this one way of writing this one formula. I, I think, you know, in the, in the math department, we were, when we, we like sat together in probably October and began uh, writing our common department exam and divvying out who was going to do which uh, topic. And we were trying to be very aware of that type of performance task problem with a lot of different skills embedded inside of it and saying, well, if the, if the students messes up the first step how can we chop this so that we can still test all the other steps but it's not you know maybe we've made a second question and of the same style and of the different next skill and and handed them the, the material they need to be successful with that if so you could know step two and not step one and not completely fail your exam so I, there was a little bit of that saying we want you to synthesize all of the topics we learned in the in the semester, but not necessarily uh, have just one giant math problem you know, scenario that you made one mistake and now you failed. Right. Yeah, in physics, this often shows up as partial credit, and everyone's really concerned about, do I get partial credit? And it's like, in my classes, yes. It's not, I mean, it's not necessarily a guarantee, but again, in my experience, the limited right. experience that I have for where I've been, it, Partial credit is fairly standard in physics courses. It's easier to do that in a, in a uh, math course. And I, I think that you, you, know, you have to be able to tell the student, or in high school math, what, what I was most recently teaching, saying, you have to show me your work. If suddenly you got to the wrong answer and I have no steps of work to see where you made the mistake, and that's, you know, I have proof of you knowing the concept in step two, even though you messed up step one, but you did step two correctly with the wrong numbers, then I'm, it's easier for me to defend giving a partial credit on my Right, exactly. Uh, this is the same thing that I look for. You know, show yeah. me your work. I mean, uh, the the corollary to that is that if you uh, if you magically show up with the right answer but with no work, like there's the mistrustful part of me, which is like, well, how do you get this answer with no work? The easiest way to get the answer with no work is to have looked at somebody else's sheet, <laughs> and you know, so I. I generally give them the benefit of the doubt, but if you know if I'm scoring out of five points, that's a three, so that's a sixty percent. Yeah, I mean, the upshot of that is really nice, and the downshot is very harsh, though, to say, mm -hmm. how did you get the wrong answer with no work? Sorry, zero points. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very different in, like, literature or whatever. Like, I don't actually give a final in writing because... They have a paper. They have a paper, and I've been trying to teach them that writing is a process, not an event, the whole yeah. semester. And so it's counterintuitive and kind of hypocritical for me to give them a timed writing essay. Mm. Whenever I've tried to teach them that they need to plan, they need to draft, they need to revise, they need to peer review, they need to revise again, and then give them something that I'm going to give them a one-shot at and then grade. So I don't do that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but like as an undergrad, we would... Well, Kathy, one of my English department colleagues I was talking today, she's teaching like 18th century British novel. And she's like, well, I'm familiar. I, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, she was just talking about how she thought that um, the class actually fit together quite well because all of the books are tied together with these different themes. And I'm sure that her final essay, I'm sure she's going to do an essay, but she could do an in-class final that's about connecting, synthesizing mm-hmm. all of those different themes to bring them together, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and in that case, she's not necessarily creating the writing just for the writing. She's actually creating a lot for, like, did you pull it together kind of situation. So synthesizing all of the stuff that you should have been doing the whole semester and reading. So if you haven't read your eight novels, you're kind of screwed right now. But to kind of tie those threads all together. Right. So in the conversation that you were having you know, earlier today, so we're looking, we as instructors are looking at, at quite often, not all the time, but at, at these final exams, you know, these final essays, if they're done on demand that we, we want our students to be able to pull from this wealth of knowledge they've had and to incorporate multiple ideas together and to show us how they connect and to show us that they understand this broader picture. And that comes back to your conversation this, earlier today where you're talking about, well, note-taking. And mm-hmm. what is that, uh, how, does different, how do these different styles of note-taking and the two that were discussed were uh, taking notes by hand mm-hmm. and taking notes on a laptop? And do these seem to have any difference at all in how they, uh, how the students perform in in these tasks for an exam? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> well, we went to a, we have a candidate on campus, and we went to a teaching demonstration, and uh, one of the psychology professors was like, oh my gosh, did you hear about the most recent study about handwritten notes versus typed notes? And I was like, uh, I don't know what show you're talking about, because I've seen different things come across like my Facebook feed or Twitter or whatever. And so she was telling me, and it's that one that we, uh, from that NPR piece that I sent you, um, that studies are showing that students are actually learning more because they have to slow down and synthesize the information as they're taking notes by hand. Whereas whenever they're typing, they're typing nearly verbatim, and so they're not actually trying to figure out how to say it differently or put it into their own words. Um, or whatever. So she was talking about um, possibly banning laptops in her class as a way to get to force students to take notes by hand. Um, and I so and then one of my other colleagues chimed in. She's like, "That's not the West Point study, is it?" And I was like, nah, "I don't." She's like, "No, no, it wasn't that." And so then I looked it up, and there's a separate study um, that came out of West Point that they actually did ban electronics in the classroom to force students to do handwritten notes and there was actually a backlash about that and not just from students I think there were other researchers who were trying to get them to figure out like well did you even study what kinds of information transfers and what doesn't or it's more complicated than just handwritten versus typing that it's about more than that there's a lot of assumptions going in Mm -hmm. on right People's facility with handwriting and facility with with uh, typing or touch typing or wait, what if I know um, the very old style of, of handwritten shorthand? Yeah, uh, then you can just do verbatim. Which was which was created exactly for court reporting mm-hmm. verbatim, quickly by hand. Right. So, you know, and you have to be you would have to be very fluid with it. So I think the yeah you'd have to dig into the particulars of the of the study, which I just listen to the overview on NPR anyway. 
<laughs> well, so, I mean, I can only talk about, like, from my perspective and my experience. Of course, I didn't have a laptop whenever I was in an undergrad. No. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. Those I mean, were way too expensive no, when yeah. I was an undergrad. And probably too heavy. <laughs> yeah, they've probably yeah. been, like, 5, 10 pounds. Yeah, I'm not going to carry that. <laughs> and a battery life of all in one hour. Yes. <laughs> you probably had plenty. At the it. high end. At the <laughs> high end. Well, I do remember that, like, uh, well, I didn't have a laptop. I had access to lots of desktops because I actually worked in a tutoring center that had desktops there. Um, but I would take notes by hand, and then as a way to study for a test, I would type my notes. Oh. So it was like I had to force myself to read them, and then I would kind of be like, what did I mean by that? I'd have to stop and look stuff up mm-hmm. or try to reword it to be like, I think I copied that directly off the board. Maybe I should think about retyping that in my own way or whatever. Um, but that was, I guess I'm a big nerd. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, I suppose I've done it both ways. I don't think I, I didn't obviously do typed notes while I was a student where a grade was on the line, but I've sat in my, you know, conference with a laptop and taken notes with another partner in a, in a shared document and uh-huh. seeing the way he types and the way I type and uh, as far as note taking and, and, um, uh, not not verbatim, mm-hmm. per se. And for me, yeah, I had to go back to my page of notes the next day and kind of add, uh, use that since it's online. I've added links to what I wanted, and you know, versus handwritten, which is easier at the time when I'm sitting there. It's easier for me to handwrite than to type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, that's that's for me the facility of I can look at the presenter while I while I handwrite my notes. You know, versus staring down at my laptop and keeping it from falling off my lap and mm-hmm. all of those other things. Yeah, if I, 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 I have managed unintentionally to develop a reputation among the faculty of being the one who takes notes because I type on my laptop when I'm in a meeting to take notes. And it is a mix of verbatim and my own interpretation. And often there's enough flying around in a faculty meeting or in a meeting for a committee that I'm on or in a division meeting that... I can't do it verbatim. I can't type fast enough to get it verbatim, but I can get almost all of the of the gist of what's going on, and and get that into into a document. But but again, I have to you know if I go back and look at it, sometimes I'm like, what did I mean there? And so it's this is sort of a thing where I have to, if I'm actually responsible for for. Uh, submitting the minutes. So in any committee meeting, someone needs to take what are called the minutes. So it is a record of what was discussed, not necessarily at a really detailed level, but I, you know, the division discussed awards yeah. for scholarships. You know, and decisions were made on who should get them in alternates. That that sort of a thing. And and so when I do that, I have to sort of condense them down. I think that also two things like. Google Docs right now, to you know, I hate to throw products out there, but here's one that's out. Google Docs currently allows voice typing. So yes. I could just sit my computer in the front row and let the, the professor's voice type for me. Yeah, that doesn't work very well, just no, FYI. No, it doesn't, no. <laughs> oh, you get, a, you, get a, you get a plug-in microphone and point it. That's all. But anyway, in, in Google Docs, voice typing does work very well in multiple different accents. It's awesome. In any in any case, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that because that's not note taking. No, that's that's not. I mean, you can record my my class time. I have I have a student who does when I when I talk about in in my calculus based physics and you know. She I, I guess my point is like and or I don't know a second point I was coming at was 
banning electronics in the in the classroom is is um, wrong way around. I guess yeah. you know it's not yeah. really addressing the the problem that's that people think they're solving. I guess because <laughs> uh, like you said, we didn't have laptops in college. Five ten years from now, kids are not going to have laptops in college either. They'll have something else. The the article in you know from NPR and the other link that you sent also mentioned. Uh, you know, tablets with a stylus. Well, that's that's why I got my current um, smart device because it has a stylus and a mm-hmm. and I can write handwritten notes on it. Yeah, I I did the same thing. I got a well, it's like a computer with a a tablet that it just yeah whatever. I mean, I originally got my laptop because of that, and and now I even have another thing which which will do fast like I can write on it like normal and then basically upload it. Yes. And, and skip all the middlemen. I mean, the thing for me is I type faster than I can write. I do too, but my, I think my what I was going to ask you both was, but do you feel like you retain knowledge better with one platform versus the other? I think I go about it differently, and I have a different thing. I mean, I think it's a different situation in taking notes in a committee than it is in a class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but like the last time you went to a conference, like that's a learning situation for us. I mean, often, I mean, I can say I went to a conference with Drew, and I think, or I went to a conference with you, mm-hmm. and I think both of them created shared docs. Yeah, they did. And That's something else I was gonna mention. But so one of the things that we would do, both I mean, what I did with both of you, is that you know after we were in the you know the the uh, presentations and all that, like we debrief, mm-hmm. like we go back through and talk about what was this so. So it's not just, it, it's, the process is not one of just, I sit down, I, I take notes, I'm done. It's, no, well, that's kind of the point. Yeah, that, I mean, I think that really, I mean, that's like, I sit down, I take notes. I do my best to capture not just what's said, but what I think about it mm-hmm. and the context that's in there. So I type a lot because I'm trying to capture more than just the words. Um, but then we, I go back and if, if, when it's useful, when it's something I actually need to look at, and I... You know, redigest it. I go back and I look at it again and say, "What does this mean? What was I trying to say?" I re-explain it to to my peers, to my colleagues, and uh, in doing so, often I will then be editing my notes yeah. <laughs> to reflect sort of what I'm saying to them. And so, I think that if you're going to take notes on a laptop in in a class, like I, I like my students to tell me beforehand. I don't ban electronics from my class. I prefer that they let me know before they do that. And that they're not disrespectful about it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're surfing Facebook in my class, like I, it's my class is small. All my classes are small enough that I'm going to know. You know, if someone's being super discreet about doing random stuff on their phone, I usually don't bother because they're those are almost always the students that do poorly on homework and quizzes. So like you're reaping your own rewards, mm-hmm. you know, by actively focusing away from what we're talking about. You know, but if you are taking notes and you write slower and have to summarize instead of do verbatim that's a good practice you know you know the, the other point that probably a little bit of the pushback on these articles was when I go in knowing that I'm gonna have to take notes or knowing that it's a lecture style course that I'm gonna need to be paying attention to I I have to be ready for that style so I'm showing up uh, I, I wake up early enough to not be groggy and have a coffee or whatever I need to be awake and and focus my mind on paying attention to, to this to the speaker and the points made and and synthesizing I'm not distracted on you know Facebook and this and that 
um, which you could get extensions for your browser uh, to, to lock you out of different, uh, you know, uh, tabs during certain time period, time frame, whatever, where you could just do it yourself. Um, and so I'm, I'm, in, I'm intentional in my note taking. So even if it's on paper, I'm intentionally paying attention to the, to the speaker. So I, I think that, again, like blaming the tool, you know, blaming the hammer yeah. for breaking the window. Is, is not, uh, you know, we, how about some proper training on what we intentionally do when we pick up a hammer? I swing it at a nail. Well, I mean, the other, I mean, the other side to that is also, you know, there's been a lot of uh, um, talk in physics education, and I'm not as up on that as I, as I used to be, but in terms of being active learners and mm -hmm. engaged students, and one of the things which has come up from studies is that lecture is one of the least, yeah. on average, I'm going to say on average, lecture is one of the least engaging modes of instruction. It is super good for getting large amounts of information from one person to many people, which is you know why we do this at conferences. Melody has a paper to present. I want to know what Melody is, has found. Many of us do. We all show up. Melody okay. tells us in her present conference presentation. We all are taking notes. You get a very fast, efficient transfer, especially if I'm already engaged. And I, I think the difference in that is self-selection. So you, you and the right. other conference attendees have self-selected and, and chosen to go there. And you could argue that college students have self-selected. They have a little bit to a certain point. Yeah, but, but not at that level. <laughs> self-selected first year English 101. No, no, that's not self-selected. Yeah, that's, that, we've selected four of them. And so, yeah, so that's the difference, is that if everyone's like an academic who's super engaged, then lecture can be very efficient and beneficial and is exactly the right thing to do. And there are times, in, I think, in any class where lecture is the proper mode, where you want to be say, okay, I need to get some stuff out here. I need you all to understand this thing. We're going to have, I'm going to do some lecture. Um, but if, if you want to maintain... Uh, you know, student engagement, then there's a number of tricks you need to be doing, like changing the mode, like every 15 to 20 minutes, because that's our standard sort of focus time, and, you know, doing different things that get them, that force them to think it through. You know, that's that, to me, that's bringing up a point of, of that, that the professors or the lecturer or whoever is, or the teacher in high school is, um, again, you know, intentionally picking their style of delivery for each lesson, yeah. which I think we can, you know, it's easy to, to say, hey, are we, we got credentialed professionals. A lot of teachers have, you know, master's degrees and beyond and credentials. They're beyond their bachelor's anyway. And, and then we can trust them to make an informed professional choice on, on delivery. I, so <laughs> I'm not getting, I don't know, complacent, I guess, on this saying, well, my entire class for a full year, 180 days of, of high school is going to be, 180 hours of lecture, here we go. At the high school level, I mean, you are required to have training in, in pedagogy and teaching and good, you know, transfer, or transfer, transmittance, right, of, of information from you to your students. At the, at the college level, we don't. Have I've, you taken an actual pedagogy course? I have, but I am, I am in the minority within physics, and I suspect also within the minority in general among faculty. You know, so it's not uh, necessarily that common of a thing to have to know anything about pedagogy. So if you're just going to do something, you do what you know. Well, what do we probably know? We were taught by old people with lectures. <laughs> who, who did who did lectures? <laughs> so what we know are lectures. Like you have to actively, 
make the effort to step outside of that. Maybe we'll save it for a addendum at the end, but this is reminding me of that the university system comes out of the church system where mm -hmm. doesn't Lectio mean to read? Probably. I mean, no, if you no. go to if you go to, to to British schools, they are you know so and so reader in in mathematics. Oh. Like that's that's a, a position. In reading somebody else's stuff to you. Thank you very much. Which uh, which had had you know has a, a a long history in the church. But go ahead. We're we're on university. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so, I, mean, I think one of the things you know that some of the pushback probably came well, from was that they actually were questioning the mode. Like, well. Is lecture even the best way to learn anyway? So they were saying that like maybe that their level of engagement was low to begin with. Sure. I mean, and as we talked about, like having a laptop in front of you if you're not engaged well, makes it even easier to like engage in something else completely. Yeah. You know, you, know, you just you can't throw the baby out with either set of bathwaters there. You can't right, say, yeah. scrap lecture or we're gonna yeah. scrap <laughs> Let's do nothing. Let's do just gonna give you a textbook when I have an exam at the end of the year. I'm just gonna sit in my office and yeah. Well, I mean, let's, let's, let's agree to be intentional. The, the professors, the teachers, the lecturers, the you know adjuncts, and the and the students exactly here yeah. and, and agree to be intentional. Yeah, I think both instructors and students should think about this and should think about how they do that. If you're going to record a lecture, that's fine I think you have to ask for permission you should ask for permission but in terms of like how that works for you you have to go back and listen to it you <laughs> have to go back and, well, and it's the same with taking notes take all the notes you want but if you don't review them they didn't really do their job right <laughs> yeah exactly and, and unless it's something to force you to pay closer attention that's one of the reasons I take notes is it forces me to pay I, I drift less when I'm taking the notes. writing center to to teach students how a, a certain style to take notes? No, actually we don't. Um, we do have like the Academic Success Center coordinator, Stephanie, who was on. Uh, she will meet with students one-on-one -on -one about like lear different learning strategies, and note-taking is one of the things. I mean, I, I've been having some bitterness lately about Writing Center, like... <laughs> Uh, workshops because I've been holding them but they haven't been very you know well attended even though students claim that they need this assistance but when it's offered they're they're not coming mm -hmm. um, so I mean I would I would love to talk about note-taking on a larger scale I mention it like in terms of annotating for readings in my first year writing classes and I give them lots of different strategies and encourage them to try one they haven't tried before um, just to kind of give them, like, you know, you're going to have to actually engage with the text or whatever. So that's about as close as I get to note-taking. Because for my particular content, it's not as important. Sure. Yeah, I think as long as you're... One of the things that I, that I think, as, you know, that students should be trying to do is to not, not take notes verbatim but rather to paraphrase, to rephrase, to, to change things around. That's, it doesn't seem like something that's important, I think, when, when you're just a student and you're just like, got to get this done. But from a cognitive perspective, I think it's really important to try to put these things into your own words and to work through them yourself and not rely on somebody else. Uh, there's a really interesting physics education PhD thesis that was about how to use videos well. The, the guy that did it, oh, I've forgotten his name, but he has a YouTube channel called Veritasium. 
Okay. <laughs> an element of truth. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. So one of the things that he studied was, let's say I, sh I, I pre-test a, a student on a, on a topic, I show them a video about the topic, and then I give them a post-test. And so he had two different types of videos and two different populations of students. One were honor students, one were regular students. The two type different types of videos was one that was very clear and concise and well explained. Another one was one that brought up and talked through some misconceptions and then you know had to do a lot sort of more cognitive work to make sense of it. What he found is that it didn't matter which population of student you looked at, whether they're honor students or regular students, if I remember all this correctly. The students that saw the clear, concise video has showed no movement, no change from pre-test to post-test. They thought, they, they self-reported that they understood it better because it was a clear, concise thing, but they hadn't thought it through themselves. All the thinking was done on the other side of the screen, mm -hmm. and so they hadn't really actually engaged and thought it through themselves, and so they actually didn't change any of their understandings of the physical situation. Whereas the students who saw the uh, the video where they had to think things through and they had a little bit of confusion but you know had to process more and get and be more mentally engaged in understanding the video they all showed um, I think statistically significant improvement from post-test from pre-test to post-test. This is really similar to the engagement uh, student engagement results that uh, somebody shared an article with me about silly fonts on their on their teacher worksheets and because I, you know, I like using regular Arial and Times New Roman, and the research was showing the same type of thing, like having a funny font like Comic Sans um, engages the students because they cognitively have to figure out what the heck they're reading. Oh. Yeah. So you're forcing them to slow down a little and, and think process. And process and make sense of what's going on. A challenge of using your muscle and climbing the hill that makes it uh, yeah. learning versus just walking straight ahead. I mean, so that, I think that becomes like you know the the challenge for us as instructors is you know how do we get our students to actually engage, actually think it through on their own, which they can be resistant to because you know often they're that's they're hard. That's... It's hard, and their impression of, of faculty and professors are people that tell them the answer or tell them what is right and and withhold and it feels like we're withholding knowledge from them because we're because we know the answer but we're not telling them the answer you know and and on their side the challenge is to understand that that's done you know with intentionally and, and for their own benefit but if it's not being done to find ways to be engaged and to you know to try to make your own sense of it and not rely on just reading and allowing sort of the information to pass over and through you and then, and then be gone, even though it feels like you understand it. So what I'm understanding is that we're basically coming to the conclusion that it doesn't really matter what mode we use to take notes or to learn, we just have to be actively engaged in whatever process we're using. I think that's my takeaway. So there might be, like, for example, the, my, the colleague who was bringing this up was legitly thinking about banning electronics from her classroom next semester to force students to take notes by hand. So that being said, even if you do prefer, you might be forced into a situation where that's not possible, and you're going to have to, you know, one, make the most of it, 
<laughs> to teach yourself a few new things or whatever. And another thing that came up in this, some of these talks too was access, um, and not just like access to computers, but the the like some students might need access to, like the Google Speak to Type or whatever, mm -hmm. or the other like right yeah I mean, types of things. Um, so like limiting electronics altogether might have other negative consequences besides babies and bathwater. Um, yeah, I I think for me the the line I try to walk is one of respect. That again. I feel like my role is one where I should give my students enough leeway that they can and enough support that if they want to if they want to do things that I that I think are going to help them that I can give them support but it's not it's no longer my job to force them to do things the way I think is the right way they are adults and can make their own decisions and I think so you put the information in front and say you know I, I would like you to do handwritten notes this semester um, I'm not banning it yeah. Even though that's my preference, because the research I've read here it is is uh, you know shows X, Y, and Z. So if that's your decision as a professor, you don't necessarily have to go straight to a ban. Right. I, yeah. I think for me that that level of interaction and sort of bringing the students along with me and help trying to make sure they understand why I'm doing things. So I I don't ban electronics in my classroom, but my syllabi say you know. Be respectful mm -hmm. if you're disrespecting your peers and me, but mostly your peers is what I'm worried about, you know, then I will ask you to leave the class for the rest of that class period. It's about respect. It's about also having them understand why why I care. You know, I'm just not I'm not just being an asshole, you know, and stealing phones. We all watched American Vandal? No. No, everyone should go watch American Vandal, which one of the teachers that shows up is just like takes electronics for the rest of the year, so like iPads and so phones. Just has them. Yeah, it just, yeah. Uh, that must be fictional. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I was like, I don't it know. Is, it is. It is. It is not a real story, but it is really funny. Okay, it's about drawing obscene things or spray painting things. Twenty-seven of them, yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I saw it on Netflix. Yeah. Okay, so another thing that came up in the conversation that we had today was about. Um, students who even if they take notes by hand or typing or whatever if we project anything like on a screen or whatever like a powerpoint or slides google slides or whatnot that they're not that they're just so focused on writing everything word for word what's on there you know what i mean mm -hmm. that they're not one comprehending what you're saying that goes along with that text or mm -hmm. explains and two they're not really processing the actual words so much as they're just getting them down yeah i so I, there's two things that this brings up for me. One is that, you know, this kind of came up for me a semester or two ago, you know, talking with students. So all my slides are available to my students at the beginning of, this, of the semester. Mm -hmm. You know, that'll probably change a little bit when I change books and therefore need to change slides. <laughs> God, but, so they have them available to them anytime. They don't need to write them down verbatim because they can look at them anytime they wish. But part of the process for some of my students is they want to write it down. So um, they at, the class asked me, please go more slowly. Yeah, they, my students. So that we can take notes. So that we can actually write things down. And I think that's a, that is a legit request. Like we talk, you talk about the pupils writing process and how each person's individual process may differ a little bit. It is, I think, overly sort of uh, draconian of me to say you must 
you know, process and take in information the way I want you to, the way I would have done in, in this class, which is to take notes on what is said and not, you know, take notes on the slide because that's the way I would have done. But I'm very different than basically all my students, you know. The, the other thing is, you know, good slide design gives you one of two things. I mean, you, your audience can either read the slide or listen to you talk. But yeah, they can't do both. They can't do both, which means I sh should have my bullet points be sort of brief phrases yeah. or fragments. To, to uh, intentional and quality lesson design yeah. going along with your, your student, you know, note-taking choices. Right. You know, I, sh I should have a, a, a slide which, which gives you the headlines, which then I, you know, flesh out as I speak. Right. So then if a student is taking notes, they can write down that headline, and then I'm going to have to take time to talk about what this means. They'll have time to write down what I'm saying or their understanding of what I'm saying, or paraphrase me, you know, and so they actually get that engagement. Uh, so, you know, again, I think it's, I think there's some responsibility, ideally, is falling, you know, both on the instructor to, to do this, but also to help the, help the class understand why we're setting it up in this way. Right. I mean, there's, there's a practicality of, like, somebody could take it to the silly, ridiculous extreme and say, devil's advocate, you can't slow the lecture down so far that there's a certain amount of material you have to cover in Physics 1. Yeah. What have you. you know, they, I, I can slow it down, but I can't slow it down, you know, ridiculous. And especially when all the materials are available online, the textbook is a copy in the library, you know, the, the syllabus has been around since August. There's a certain level of um, expectation on the professor, yeah, but also on the student to, like, hey, part of this is to, you know, I, there's a reason I asked you to do the reading at home. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you can't, you can't remove it from the context. This note-taking, you know, uh, debate as it is can't be removed from the context of all of the moving parts of a, of a, of a curriculum from the semester. I mean, absolutely. And I mean, at that point, you're talking about more of like your class design mm -hmm. and uh, and classroom procedures, you know. So, you know, I'm, I have small enough classes that <clears throat> I can, I mean, I start my classes with what do we need to talk about is pretty obvious to everyone if you haven't done the reading. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's, I've started with, you know, my larger, you know, 20 person class, you know, having them submit those questions through a pre-class question uh, form. I guess the, the thing I'm thinking of right now is like in, the, in a high school course, uh, I have 90 days in the first semester. I have, you know, I have a, a certain amount of time in the semester where I can say, hey class, class meeting, we're gonna set our expectations and we're gonna set our, you know, what I expect of you guys and we're gonna create a class culture of, you know, respect and X, Y, Z and let's build the rules together and how I expect you to take notes and why I expect you to take notes that way and I have, a, a little bit of time at the beginning of the year to, to set that. I don't, I mean, there's, there's not really any prisoners to take in, in college with, what do you guys have, like 45 days? I don't know. So Something like that. Yeah, that's probably that's about right. right. I think I counted them out once. I think I did too. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, part of it also is I have expectation for the students, and I suspect what I'm about to say is true for any subject, which is they can do the reading and in full faith and take notes on that before they even come in, they're still not gonna understand it all 100%, which is why I start the way that I do. 
And then we can spend our time talking about the things which made the least sense, things that need the most <clears throat> help from me. And then their notes are focused on, on that, you know, the stuff that they didn't understand, the previous notes they've already taken or their understanding is already good, and now we're expanding into more of the stuff that they didn't understand. It's not that they can't take notes or that I need to move slowly enough. I mean, you're right. Like, it is a balance. I see it as sort of a, maybe not a negotiation, but like it is a process that this, my class and I need to find the right level for. And my expertise in having taught a bunch of classes means that I should be the primary guide in where to, to fit that balance. But yeah, I need to move fast enough to cover the material. I, I need to give them the right amounts in the right way so that they can be engaged and they can take the notes they need. They need to do the work I ask of them so that they can do that. I want to. I feel like I'm hogging the mic today, but I want to you know, share one more thing. Sure. All I have to fall back on is my own, you know, college experiences. Uh, you know, and some of those are taking a course and being completely overwhelmed by the, you know, four credit hour uh, level of workload and in a first semester, you know, person and having to retake the course. Well, so by the time I retake this course, I finally figured out in college that uh, not only am I you know, taking notes in a different style a couple years later, I figured out that there's a study group in the library that goes over their notes after the class. And they didn't invite so, you until when? <laughs> you know, that was not the study group's fault. That was you know, me being like, hey, I'm done with class, going back to the dorm or whatever, you know, uh. instead of asking my friends in the program, hey, we just did this ridiculously terribly hard course. Um, Let's I'm talk really about it. About it. Yeah. How do I study, right? And so sitting with a group of, you know, six or depending on who came, five, six, ten people, uh, you know, listen to the audio examples, go over everybody's notes. Oh, I missed that, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, let's play that one again. Whatever it was to, to understand it and get it in my head and then pass that, that course. So it, it, that goes along with my note taking was, you know, study with the, in the library with the study team. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. There was probably the hardest class I took as an undergrad was thermodynamics and statistical mechanics, which is known to be a hard course, but the professor I also took it from did not like us and so, <laughs> like actively disliked his students. And so uh, that was that was experience. So there was a group of people we get together to, to study. And so I'm like, yeah, like, let's just jump on this and then became like, not them. Let me find another <laughs> group because they were doing all kinds of rowdy stuff. Uh, that is like, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do the stat med guys because I don't understand it while they're like, like literally having a party, you know, throwing around latex gloves filled with water. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so like, I slept. need to go because I don't understand this and this is not helping. You have to find the good study group. That's true. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, find the group, find the study group, you know, make one. Yeah. Be the leader if you have to. Absolutely. I don't think I did that as an undergrad. Um, I did that more as I went on. I definitely did it as a graduate student, but I didn't really do it as an undergrad. Uh, where the, uh, the flyer says, established study group looking for six more members. <laughs> what? Six more members? I'm picky. I only want like four people. It's like when you want to start a band, you don't say a drummer looking for band. You say established band looking for lead guitarist, lead vocalist, and bass. Oh, I see. You're, you're using rhetoric there. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? Yeah. 
Okay, so I don't really know what this, I don't know. I thought this was an interesting conversation because it kind of came up today. Mm -hmm. And then, like, of course, also, like, part of the takeaway that I'd like for students to think about is that we as teachers are often looking for ways to help students be the most successful. And so if this particular professor does end up banning electronics, I don't think that it's a malicious act. I think she's actually trying to help her students learn. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, maybe the benefit of the doubt, give it a try and see what happens. You might find that you actually enjoy handwriting notes or something. Um, or color coding or highlighting. I like those things. They make me happy. Um, but, you know, these are the types of conversations that we have, like, mm -hmm. in the hallways or whatever. Oh, my gosh, did you read that study? Oh, I think I'm going to try that. Mm -hmm. um, those kinds of things. I mean, I revamped my syllabi based on an article that went around. So it's like, yeah, I'm sure no one reads my syllabus. <laughs> I need them to read my syllabus. <laughs> what yeah. You know, so it's like, try this. It's like, okay, I can try that. You know, there's no real harm in this. I didn't turn it into a comic, but, you know. God, who has that time? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. So I guess like just taking notes is important, but do it the way that works best for you. Right, and when you're taking notes or doing whatever, it's about trying to make sense of it beyond simply recognizing the words that are on the page. You know, trying to trying to connect it with larger things because that's what we're going to be trying to ask you on the exams. Right. Is and so that might require actually almost always will require that you review said notes <laughs> yes. probably even more than once a lot of times people will say oh you need to review the notes from the previous class right before you go in mm -hmm. just to kind of help you remember things but for a, you know for an exam for sure and then I love the study group idea yeah especially if like everybody's struggling because there are certain classes that are notoriously difficult in every major and that's where you have to kind of band together absolutely any other thoughts, Drew? No, I mean, my last thought is that, you know, if, if it says four-credit class, that doesn't mean I'm taking four hours of class. That means I'm, I'm taking four hours of class and, you know, however many hours at home. Eight. Outside of class. Doesn't have to be at home. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the math that they actually tell us is, like, well, if you're taking a three-credit hour class, you're expected to do six hours of work outside of class. Right. Because, yeah. you know, the, the, the thought of the student is, well, I took the notes, and, and it's a three-credit class. Like, I'm finished, right? Yeah. No. And, and it's, it's unrealistic to listen to this podcast as an 18, 19-year-old and say, oh, there's no way I'm going to study my notes before class. That's a 10 o'clock class. I'm not trying to come in at 9.30 and study. You know what I mean? Like, I can see that uh, me as, as an 18-year-old going, no, not happening. But yeah, I mean, really the, the intent of a four-credit class is that there's eight hours happening outside of class. Right. Yeah, right. it's really 12 hours. It's really yeah, it's three 12, times yeah. the whatever the credit hour is that we're, we're expecting you to be doing twice as much outside as you do face-to-face -face contact. At, at bare minimum, don't be surprised by the amount of effort that's that it is required to get an A in that course. Well, there are some classes that don't require that much, and that's great, but there are some classes that might require more than that, too. <laughs> yeah, so some semesters, true. you get really screwed over, and others it balances out, and you yeah. might even have an easy semester here or there. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that was really enjoyable about my last semester is that I had, I had taken two light semesters my first year because I came in with some AP, and I was like, whatever, you know. But that meant that I had to take a full load my both semesters of my senior year, where most of my peers were taking light loads, taking like two, three physics courses and light loads. I was taking two, three physics courses and having to finish up my gen eds. But one of the things that, I, that was really fun about that is that 
your gen eds are usually at the 100 level. If you're taking 400 level courses because you're finishing your major, like the level of attention and organization that you have is way higher than the average of the student in that class. So you're killing it. I was crushing those <laughs> gen eds. It was actually really, I had, those are some of these courses I enjoyed the most. Yeah. Actually taking those gen eds as my senior year. I don't know if I really want to advise everyone to do that. Right. Uh, because you can get like locked in, like if you have to finish them before you graduate. So it may be like, you have to take this course which you really, really don't want to take because that is the only one that will fit your schedule. It's second semester, senior year. you got to take that class. But it might be a summer school choice when you're you know, midway through. But, yeah, it's, it's fun when you're geared up like a race car to go drive on the, on the old slow course. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was great. I was taking second semester chemistry and just crushing it. It was marvelous because <laughs> I took first semester chemistry early and I was like this is so hard so anyway so listeners we're trying to help <laughs> if you try to help as well and um, yeah do your best try to think it through try to do some on your own ask for help if you need it but do as much legwork as you can and I'm not talking about showing up 30 minutes before class, not 9.30. I'm talking about get there at 9.55. And then while everyone's shuffling in and the, the professor's setting up whatever on the computer, just flip back through your notebook real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Well, for us, have a good winter break. <sighs> it will not be long enough, but Mm-mm. do your best anyway. Happy solstice. Yes. Happy solstice. If you have questions for us, you can still get a hold of me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D. Or you can send me an email, peter.o.hyland, H-Y-L-A-N-D, at gmail.com. Have a good break. Yay. Hey. <laughs>